and welcome to another episode of Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host, Sam Blazer. Cam will be joining me in a little bit to talk about the uh, happenings in the NHL. But first, what we're going to end up doing is we're going to jump straight to my interview with Allison Lucan, uh, editor of Buckeye State Hockey, uh, freelance writer for the Blue Jackets. We get into the Blue Jackets, do a little bit of a deep dive. Me being from Columbus, obviously I enjoyed it a whole lot. But if you know, you're know you even just a passerby or a casual fan of the Blue Jackets, you'll find it interesting as well to hear what um, has changed and what's been different to this team thus far this year. And so we won't waste a moment, and we'll get right into that interview. We'll be right back. And we are back, and I am now joined by Allison Lucan, editor at Buckeye State Hockey, freelance writer for the Blue Jackets. Allison, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Of course. You know, it's for... I'm formal right now, but we record almost every week on our own Blue Jackets podcast to talk about the team itself. So I guess this won't necessarily be a you know one-on-one, hardcore-hitting interview, but more of a conversation <laughs> about the team itself. So if you're an outside fan or you know, you're know an outside uh, onlooker, why should you be excited about what the Blue Jackets have done this year? <laughs> well, I, I think it's it's... First and foremost, okay if you're not yet excited. I think that one of the reasons there's a big question mark is because this is a team that hasn't really consistently shown a lot to be excited about. There's an up year and then there's a couple down and back and forth. Um, But what I think is most exciting for now, uh, knowing that we're only at the quarter point, is that the Jackets aren't just seeing success in terms of wins and standings, but we're really seeing some improvement in the underlying numbers as far as shot generation and scoring chances and how they're activating the defense. And so I think that seeing the foundation of how the team should be playing, be going in the right way is the best thing to be excited about. And one of the big pieces uh, of the team, obviously, is Sergei Bobrovsky uh, signed a four-year, you know, $7.5 million contract little while back um he seems to be playing very well and he's not getting injured is should the blue jackets fans and uh onlookers alike be confident in him staying healthy this year i i think that's fair i think we know that um he lost a little weight and that he worked with the team to change up his training program quite a bit in the off season and and we know that he can do this we've seen him do this before i think the bigger question on the goaltending um is is who's going to play the the balance of the games that bob won't play because he can't play 82 um and if they try to push his game number too high that's where i think you're going to see risk so i think he's looking really strong but you know, we've got McElhaney right now who won his first game on Saturday, but but who's going to pick up, what, the probably 15 to maybe more that in this season that Bob isn't going to play? I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who fills those because a lot of times it wasn't necessarily put up by the team, but it seemed like there was some interest in possibly bringing Corpusalo, um, obviously goaltender who played for the Blue Jackets last year. Or maybe Anton Forsberg coming up for a couple of games to spell uh, McElhaney. But McElhaney seems to be doing a great job in his time thus far, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he has looked really good. I, I was a little more concerned because his first two starts, the team kind of floundered in front of him. And, and that's not something you like to see. But they seem to finally put it together Saturday um, versus uh, Fina, uh, Arizona. So... If, if he can continue to play well and get the next, you know, and get 10 to 15 starts, then, yeah, I mean, keep him there and, and let the baby goalies continue to grow in the A. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, now, Alexander Wenberg is scoring like crazy, or at least, you know, getting putting points up on the board like crazy. Do you think at this point in time that he's the number one center on this team? Or how, how do you think the Blue Jackets look at him uh, right now? Yeah, I, I think that on this team, he is the number one center. The the bigger question, of course, is, is he an NHL number one center? Um, I think he's showing growth in all the right ways. I mean, he's doubled his point production. He's doing a great job on the power play. He's really clicking with Saad and Foligno. 
Um, but I think he's a ways away from really cementing himself as as a truly elite number one center. But how many of those are there anyway, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's tough to get one. Uh, obviously, when right. the Blue Jackets... Tra- we know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> obviously, when the Blue Jackets traded uh, Ryan Johansson for Seth Jones, a lot of the hemming and hawing was, you know, they're never going to get another number one center again. It took us, you know, 10-plus years to finally get one. Right. Uh, right. Now, on that sim- on that line with uh, Wenberg is uh, Saad and Felino. Um, between the two of them, which one do you think is having a better year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm going to go with Felino. Um, and the reason is because Saad is, Saad is terrific. Um, but I think that Felino is having the better year because a, he rebounded from kind of his crazy first year as captain where it seemed to impact his performance. And I also really like his two-way play. Um, it's interesting if you start to look at some of the metrics for defensive play, which is kind of the holy grail, I think. But he really can drive play up the ice from the jacket zone. And I think that that's a sneaky, important thing with the way the jackets are trying to play. So to see him kind of have the complete game, and that's not a ding on thought, but I think to have the complete game and then also have the point production that he's having, I'm going to go with the captain. You brought up the way that they're trying to play. Uh, a lot of times people want to point fingers at John Tortorella for saying this or saying that. What is different about John Tortorella thus far, and what is the team trying to do? Um, do you know? Are they emulating other teams, or are they just becoming a brand-new entity by themselves? Yeah, I mean, if, if you listen to the things that Tort says, you know, he doesn't think he's he's reinventing the wheel. He'll talk about things like, you know, everyone knows what everyone else is doing. Um, but he is, and I think as a surprise to a lot of people, showing that he's going to move in the direction that the league is going. Um, the Jackets are trying to use their defense as the engine of their play. Um, they're trying to eliminate D-to-D passes and really activate from the back end. Um, we're seeing it with the excessively talented Zach Wierenski and, of course, Seth Jones. Um, and, and that's a lot of, in my opinion, what's driving some of their shot metrics and their ability to have more offense and obviously more wins, is that they're really changing to getting out of their own end, owning that transition game, standing up the attack in the neutral zone as well, and it's impressive to see that Tortorella is changing. It might also be the impact of the new assistant coach, Brad Shaw, who uh, seems to be pretty progressive in his thinking and is in charge of growing this young defense. But Torts does seem to be changing in all the right ways. And it's awesome for uh, Blue Jackets fans to finally get some validation because, of course, when the hiring took place, uh, it was mostly panned. And then, of course, you know he did what he did at at the World Cup of Hockey, U.S. didn't show up as well as many people hoped, and people kind of you know raked him over the coals. When in reality, yeah. I think he it was almost unfair in the way that they, that he was treated. But you know, I I, yeah. I could probably go on and talk about that for a, a really long time. <laughs> uh, another uh, thing I want to talk about the Blue Jackets is that there's a lot of new players on this team, and I think it's raised some eyebrows when certain players show up and, you know, actually play well, and they have never heard of him before. Uh, who do you think is the unsung hero on the Blue Jackets, uh, you know, 20-plus games this far into the season? Oh, unsung hero. That's a good question. Um, does it have to be a new player, or can it be anybody? No, it can be anybody. I I, I know, like, you know, Josh Anderson was one person who, like, kind of stuck out. Lucas Sedlak's been good. Yeah. And then Cam Atkinson's been out of this world. I, uh, you had that article on BlueJackets.com um, about uh, his consistency. Uh, do you think he's the unsung hero this far this year? He's not getting the, the pub as, like, you know, Wenberg or Wierenski. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a very good question. Um, uh, this might be a strange answer, but actually who came to my mind is Seth Jones because I think that everyone just expects him to be good. And he is, and he doesn't get the point production as much as, you know, obviously Zach Wierenski is the leading defensive scorer right now. Um, but I think he's really a big part of Zach's success, not just in terms of what they do on the ice, but how he's 
coaching him on the ice. Zach says that Seth will talk to him a lot. You know, that was good. Do this. Don't do that. Um, I also think that Seth represents, he's just old enough to be part of the new core and have some experience with it. So he can be part of setting the tone. I think his demeanor is the same as you see in Zach Wierenski and kind of that calm, just keep at it, don't get flustered um, attitude that we're seeing a lot more from this team as opposed to last year where they kind of freak out. Um, so I'm going to go with Seth Jones, I think. That's a great answer. When you think about it, you know, when when you have the expectations placed on you, you know, it's you're you're expected to be great and he's actually meeting those expectations. That's a tough thing to do especially in, in the league today. Now, I wrote earlier in the year about how the middle part of the defense is I didn't think at the time was playing up to par. They obviously improved drastically. Uh do you think at all that the Blue Jackets are going to be trying to make a move anywhere to improve this team? It, out of nowhere, it kind of looks like there's not really any holes in this team, which is a really, 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 really weird comment to make about the Blue Jackets after watching <laughs> them for like 16 years. Do you think there's any moves to be made on this team or any improvements to be made? Well, I mean, I think I think you can certainly improve. Um you know, it, it's great to see them playing this well, but I think that, you know, to be an elite team, there's probably still some talent upgrade that could happen um, in the forward core and probably in the defensive core as well after the top pairing. Um, but, but I think the bigger question is going to be what they can do with the cap, right? So um, if they can make a move, I don't know if it's a big one unless they're really going for a push at the deadline. I'm also curious to see if they have to make some adjust- adjustments because, as you said, they've got so many young guys. I mean, Zach Wierenski has never played this many games in, in a year. So are they going to be able to physically withstand the demands of an 82-game season? You know, Nudivara, Wierenski. And when you start to get into your defensive core like that, it, it, it might be a question that they have to solve, not just in terms of, getting someone who can ride out the year, but also kind of help with those subtle upgrades that'll really push them into a, into postseason play. Should they be able to make that happen? It'll definitely be tough. I mean, we haven't seen uh, Zach Rensky score in a little bit. And after the way he started, it didn't seem like it was ever going to stop. But, you know, right. it's, it's, it's not like he's, uh, you know, going to score a million points per game uh, or, you know, uh, throughout the entire season. Now, you were at the games in Colorado and Arizona. What do you think has changed with this team? And I, I, I want to talk a little bit about the Arizona game itself with, you know, the 60-plus shots. That, there's also been, like, a moving target. I feel like the shots on goal have changed, like, a couple of times since the game right. ended. What What do you think about this team has changed? And do you think that that Arizona game kind of, like, summed up their season thus far? I think what impressed me the most about that game, um, (laughs) open and honest, and I think some of us do this still, is that, you know, sometimes the the team faces some adversity and we go, oh, here we go, um, because that's what's happened in the past. But, you know, we talk about Torts making some tactical changes, and I'm going to go ahead and say it, that he's he's also helping them make some mental approach changes. Um, The guys didn't look flustered. They just kept going after it. And they regrouped, they just kept shooting. And even after in talking to them after the game, like they weren't extra jubilant, like, oh my gosh, we did it, we're amazing. But they were just like, we knew if we just kept shooting that we would be able to score and be able to take it at least into overtime and hopefully get the win. So I think it's that change in attitude that's perhaps the most interesting. And you see that in their play. You see them not get flustered. You see them not, well, they did have a lot of penalties, but you see them usually not create a lot of penalties on the ice out of nerves or frustration. Um, I, I know that this was mentioned somewhere, to, I think, in, in our Buckeye State recap from Matt, but the ice was pretty crappy there, too. So um, it's an interesting game to look at. It, it's that never say die. I can't believe I'm saying that it was about that mental approach that, that I think really made the difference on Saturday. Goonies never say die. Um, That's right. <laughs> I mean, of course I was going to pick up on that. Uh, now, 
they're winning right now. They're one of the top teams in the East. Once again, a very weird comment to make, at least in points right now. What do you think is a successful season for the Blue Jackets? Ooh. Um, you know, for me right now, the biggest question mark is that even though we can point to a lot of strong teams that they're beating, this team has not seen the meat of their Metro schedule. Um, they've only got three games against Metro opponents, and those are going to be the big point swings when those guys go head to head. So I'm curious to see a few more of those matchups, um, particularly with Pittsburgh. I think that's going to be a good measuring stick for this team. Um, but I, you're going to jinx me now. I don't know what to say, Sam. But I, I mean, this team. Is I'm going sorry. To be you know, you you don't have to answer it. It's I, I know it's a t- I know it's like a, you know to, to say it uh, out loud is kind of a tough thing. But at least from my perspective, I think if they make the playoffs, that's successful, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that, and and look, everyone knows that. Of course, that is not the goal, and that can't be the goal if you're a team that really wants to contend. But for this team, with, with the minor kinds of changes they made in the offseason and coming off the year that they had last year, to get into the postseason would be, would be a win. Yes. I mean, the expectations before the year were pretty much zero, to zero you know, at all. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> you know if a team came in the year without – any like fewer expectations, small market, you know, not a lot of big, big changes overall, but one of the big changes, I guess, down the middle was Sam Gagne and um, his $650,000 deal. What do you think happens with him? It's, he's kind of an interesting thing. Cause I think from an analytic standpoint, a lot of people view those kind of deals as you picked him up on, uh, you know, for 50 cents on the dollar you might as well, you know, trade him at his absolute peak to get him. Do you think there's a chance he sticks around after this year? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's, I think it's too early for me to get a read on if this is a guy who has a real affinity totally. or connection with with this team. But I think that if he if he's happy here, and if the team, again, and we come back to that cap space issue because they've got a lot of guys they're going to have to sign in the offseason – if they can find a deal that works, I think they'd be silly to move him. But I can also see him say, using this as his redemption tour and saying, okay, who wants me now? Um, and the Jackets would be foolish not to move him unless, again, they're kind of making that push at the deadline. So it, it's it's 50-50 right now, right? Oh, no, for sure. It'll definitely be like a look-in-the-mirror moment. And I think because of the opportunity that they gave him, and the way that, like you know, at least in the past, how this front office operates, and I'm willing to bet plainly they'll ask him, you know, this is what we'll offer you. Will you accept it? What do you think? Right. And then if they can end up, you know, flipping him for say, you know, a depth defenseman or someone who can be versatile uh, on an expiring deal, like similar to Gagne, I, I definitely could right. see that uh, happening. And then there's also, you know, I think another interesting point, and you know. Neither of us really follow the the monsters all too much, but when you think about it overall, they they still have some good talent down there that's kind of just percolating. They still have Milano, they still have Bjorkstrand, they still have Tynan, they still have Daniel Zar, and they're kind of just down there. And you know, the team's not doing so hot this year, but you know, calling one or two of them up, you know, at some point in time, and, and placing them in the lineup is almost like uh, a trade within itself because those guys. Can score and they're all they're absolutely dynamic on offense. So I, when I've been thinking about like deadline moves, which is you know way way ahead, but that's just how I operate. <laughs> and of course, I enjoy that kind of stuff almost more than the games itself. Uh, it, it it seems like you know those those would almost be the the best moves for the Blue Jackets to make, right? Yeah, you know I wonder though because. Now you've got my mind churning because, like, I know Torts loves Gagne's versatility. I mean, even though he's playing in the bottom six, he is someone who Torts has acknowledged numerous times he'll look to if he needs kind of that bump in offensive production. And he does have that experience. He's got the the shot on the shootout that, you know, he's, I think, 2-0 and um, this season so far. It, it, it's, a, it's going to be a curious question, which the Jackets have perennially faced of, youth, how young is too young, how much experience do you need to come up 
in terms of the role that the team needs to fill. I think you're right that if they can bolster the defense, you know, moving Gagne makes a little bit more sense because you do have such talent growing um, in the A, but I don't know if at this moment in time, I'd necessarily say they could supplant him in the lineup. Does that make sense? No, for sure. And, uh, and of course now I feel like terrible bringing up that, you know, Gagne in the, in the same vein as being <laughs> traded when we know we're only like 20 some odd games into the season, right? It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. It, it, when you, you know, are an armchair GM, you want to, you know, make a decision and say, you know, this is what I need to do and do this. But in reality, it's a business and everything that's happening there. Right. Gagne has been an absolute boon for him. So why the heck shouldn't they keep him around for, you know, a longer term? Cause before last year with the Flyers, he was a half a point per game player. And if they can keep him yeah. around for, you know, you know, uh, like one point five million, two million, I'm like, shoot, why why the heck wouldn't you uh do that, right. at least in my right. in my opinion. Um and I said Boone in the middle of that, so you know who the next topic's gonna be oh, on my boy. end. Um obviously <laughs> it's gonna be Boone Jenner. Uh his start to the year, along with a couple of other players, were kind of slow and uh you know, Brandon Dubinsky's another name that comes to mind. Do you think, you know, these past couple of games they've been getting on the score sheet a little more. Do you think that this is finally the the turnaround that they've been hoping for to, you know, have them su- uh, supplant a lot of what's been happening on the uh, score sheet? I hope so. And I and the bigger sign that I'm looking towards that those two are both actually starting to do now is shoot more. Um, you know, Boone, I, I tease, Boone is, is notorious for dumping the puck in the zone. That's what he likes to do, which, of course, makes it, a little bit more challenging to get some actual offense going when you're in there. Um, but, you know, Boone has goals in the last two games and, uh, you know, they both were like way up high in shots, um, individual attempts um, in the last two games as well. It, it's an interesting challenge because, you know, Torts loves Doobie. He loves the challenge of putting him in against top line competition. And he's, get, he's giving those guys the most defensive starts of any forward line. Um I hope they turn it around, but I do think that we're probably just going to have to accept that there's going to be a downtick in both of their production this year. Cam's I, producing, but Cam, that's what Cam does. And I think these two guys, their role might be changing a little bit. Do you think Cam's production's directly tied to how he's been playing defensively? He looks like an absolute bat out of hell when, you know, eye test-wise. Do you think that there's a gen- like a tie to that at all? I think there might be part of that because he said to me, you know, he, he really is most engaged in a game when he is playing in all situations and really feels that trust from the coaching staff. And he's getting that um, again, by seeing the competition he's seeing and getting the starts he's getting and being in power play penalty kill times. It's really pretty cool to see him kind of jump up and not just go for the score, but like you said, pick up the puck, own the transition game, get it out of trouble, or challenge a skater when they have the puck. It's it's a really great element to see him adding. It's really interesting to watch him on the PK, and I feel like a lot of times he stands yeah. with people up at the line, and yes. I, I feel like a lot of times his back check is also really, really strong as well, and then he can turn it right back up ice, and then I think at that point he becomes a Tortorella darling for you know moving the puck up ice as quickly as he does, and of course he can activate the right. defense and things like that. Now, Austin, I'm glad we had this conversation because you, you and I and uh, Matt are going to be recording later on this week. So, you know, this is a little test run to talk about the Blue Jackets <laughs> after, you know, a few weeks off. So I, I'm really glad you came on. Now, before I let you go, uh, where can we find you on Twitter? Where can we find your writing? Move your TV show that you like to plug. Uh, the floor is yours, Allison. Oh, boy. Um, well, you can find me on Twitter at Allison L. That's one L, so A-L-I-S-O-N-L. Um, and, of course, I write for Buckeye State Hockey, which you can find at Buckeye ST Hockey. Um, and then I also do freelance work, as you mentioned, at bluejackets.com. Um, so you can find my stuff there. Um, and let's see, TV show that I just love, um, and I'm going to be sappy about it, is This Is Us on NBC. I think it's not just a great story, but it's a really creative storytelling method that they're taking on. And since no shows seem to be putting out new episodes right now, there's no better time to binge and catch up. Did I just ruin your plug for later on this week? 
No, you know I never have one in advance. <laughs> no, I, I just I just wanted to be completely sure. Uh, what's funny is that a couple <laughs> pe- a, a couple people have come on before, and they think that they're uh, I was talking about radio or you know book appearances that for them that they think that like you know like well I I, I haven't written a book or you know I I'm not in TV right now. I'm gonna go. Oh no, I I wanted to hear what you've been watching or you know get a behind the scenes look into what you've been into. So I'm glad you were able to jump onto that and pick that up, Allison. I appreciate it. The only- time i've ever done it i think usually you have to wait on me when we record so hey there's a first <laughs> not at all not at all well you and i will you know obviously be talking throughout the day but i appreciate you for coming on allison thanks no thanks for having me and we're back after a conversation with allison lucan uh obviously i enjoyed it because of the blue jackets but it's time to talk about the nhl itself and cam i'm, I'm glad you're on the show you, you know for the first what 30 or so minutes of the show there wasn't a whole lot of cam. Are, are you sad about that? Uh, well, I'm not that sad. I guess. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I don't feel like I missed out on anything because you guys were just talking about the Columbus Blue Jackets. And if you've ever listened to this show, you know how I feel about the Blue Jackets or how I don't feel about the Blue Jackets. Um, see, so I, 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 I could trash. It was a good time for me to sit out. It was a good time for me to sit out. You see, I could trash the Oilers if I wanted to, but then what ends up happening is that you start talking about Mark Messier, you start talking about Wayne Gretzky, and then my eyes start to glaze over, and I go, "All right, I, I, I don't really need anything like that. I don't need that in my life." I mean, I mean, I could, uh, I could try to trash the Blue Jackets, but then I, you know, be talking about the Blue Jackets, which is not the easiest thing for me to do because. That's true. Again, like I just said, they're the Blue Jackets. We, we should start talking about the Ryan Smith and uh, Fernando Pisani area. What do you think? Do you think that's that's like... that's, that's significantly more up my alley than talking <laughs> to me about Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier, which are completely irrelevant to me. I mean, I was born in '93, so I mean, I, praise be to those Oilers fans who got to live through those '80s times. But for me, the conversation about great Oilers begins and ends with the names of like Ryan Smith. Fernando Pisani, like Chris Pronger, Mike Pekka. <laughs> Some of the best of the best, obviously. Uh, no, but speaking of the Oilers, they played the Minnesota Wild last night. The Wild are a team we haven't mentioned too much of. Uh, and they are an interesting club because they picked up Bruce Boudreaux over the summer. Zach Parise has started slowly. Um, they ended up beating the Oilers 2-1 in overtime yesterday. What did you think of the Wild's performance, and what have you thought about the uh, Wild thus far in this season? Well... There's, uh, I guess my sentiment towards the wild can be viewed as either a positive or negative thing. I mean, they are treacherously boring to watch play hockey, and I don't think there's any way around that. They just play like a tight checking neutral zone game, and they're fast. They they're fast, but they don't generate offense. They're fast in that they they there's no space. Like you, you I mean, yesterday the Oilers were on the second half of a doubleheader, so. I mean, there was, like, slow legs regardless, but you watched, like, Connor McDavid just never had any space to move around and generate speed because there's always a forward checking him. And I guess, I mean, that's 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 a way that you can be successful. And, like, the Wild, they're they're quite good, but they're, they're so hard to watch. They're so boring. And, I mean, if it ever got to a point where the Wild, you know, reached their potential, they have, like, a lot of skill on their roster, like a phenomenal coach. If they ever, you know, went far into the playoffs, I... I don't think it would be, for example, the Western Conference Final or the Stanley Cup Final anybody wants to watch. No, for sure. I think with uh, Bruce Boudreaux at the helm, there's going to be some change there. I think personnel-wise, they're going to end up having to do that just out of necessity. Uh, What's happening right now is Devin Dubnik's absolutely saving their ass. Uh, He has almost a 950 save percentage. He's been unbelievable this year, and... A changed man from what he was with the you know the Coyotes and the Oilers, and the team itself. We look when you look at it, Zach Parise is not performing too well. Um, you know, Jason Pominville is not performing too well. Oddly enough, I want you to guess who is the second leading scorer, or actually tied for first leading scorer on the team. It's Eric Stahl. Yeah, Eric Stahl. It's <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. It's Eric. Now, Eric Stahl. I mean, for all the crap that he got last year. Uh, for how bad he was with the Rangers and how everybody thought inherently he was going to be, you know, the ugly free agency signing of the summer because people were speculating back in uh, summer 2015 when he was talking extension with the Hurricanes was that he was going to command like another 7.5 million annual contract. But the Wild got like a really good steal for a guy with 
like phenomenal possession numbers. Like the year that he had in Carolina in uh, 2014, 15, and 15, 16, before he was dealt to the Rangers, his his Corsi stats were like off the charts. And and that that um that Hurricanes team doesn't have much skill. They don't have much finish. And there's a reason that he didn't put up the points he usually would. But he was the perfect bounce back candidate in the Wild. Got like a really good player to like balance out their team. And just whenever he plays like 18 minutes a night, it's just like it's good solid like. It's just good hockey. He has 17 points in 24 games as of this recording, and he leads the team in shots on goal by like a pretty large margin, and he's on his way to having a career-low shooting percentage. So like adding this all up, you know, he may be underrated compared to where he was. And that's the thing that happens a lot, I feel, with the analytics community, is that you either hate someone or you love someone, and the nuance is just completely lost. Yeah, like, no, like, that's... And then, and then we get that. I wrote an article on this like last week. But then you get then then you get the rivalry point where everything heightens so high. And and the perfect example of this is Chris Russell. And you know the non-stats people think he's really good, and the stats people think he's really bad. And everything gets blown up because you have people saying, "Watch the game. You're <laughs> watch the game. Watch the game. You're a nerd, or just like you know, learn how to." understand math you're dumb and just it's 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 just super aggressive both ways and let's be honest chris russell falls somewhere in the middle as like a number four defenseman who's all right i feel like at some point that you know we're gonna have to start getting paid for whenever we say watch the game someone's gonna have to give us like a dollar every time we do it because i feel like we're almost shoehorning it in it's absurd you give me a dollar every time i say it <laughs> oh yeah then every other word's gonna end up being watch the game i'm not gonna be into that uh but what I liked about the Wild in years past, looking at their bottom six, is that they were able to have people like Eric Halla in there to, you know, put them ahead and, you know, actually, like, put up a fight with, like, the Chicago Blackhawks. This team, though, is trying to fill in some spots, and they're not doing so hot with it. But it doesn't really matter since they're still, you know, being somewhat successful while, you know, playing. I Charlie Coyle is their leading scorer, and that's – no offense to Charlie Coyle, but <laughs> – he doesn't really have any business, you know, being being the leading goal scorer there for him, right? And so no. I I wonder where they're going to go from here and I I think overall with Bruce Boudreaux, they're going to they're going to hold tight and be completely fine with him at the helm. Personnel-wise, it's really really sketchy. I don't know where they're going to go. I don't know how who they're going to trade. There's really no one of value except Further their defensemen, and they have you know some fairly good ones, and Jared Spurgeon, Matt Dumba, and you know Jonas Brodine. They're not great by any stretch, but you know they're serviceable, and that's kind of the problem with the Wild overall is that they're just kind of there. <laughs> oh, the, the the Wild never got get brought up really as a team with cap difficulty, nor do they, nor do we talk about the two contracts. I guess I'm making a generalization, but I feel like. When we're talking bad contracts, we don't hear Ryan Suter and Zach Parise, who are both signed for like eight more seasons at seven point five three eight million respectively. That's that's an obscene amount of money for those two players, and they're, Zach Parise especially as games declining right down. I mean, Ryan Suter still logs a lot of minutes, but he provides no offense. And I mean, this team right now has Michael Granlund and Nino Niederreiter in need of new contracts right away, RFA deals, and like. I, there's so much dead money on this team. Jason Pominville, 5.6. It's it, That's just like a, a stupid amount of money tied up to players that just really don't provide that much. So it's hard to imagine they're going to turn it around. But also in the same vein, they're, they're thoroughly solid. And the group that they have here, especially because of their blue line and their goalie, I think will be a competitive playoff team for quite some time. But I just really can't see them making the moves necessary to push themselves over the hump and become actually really good. And I, I would definitely agree on that front. And while you know they may be one of the more boring teams in the league, on the other side of the token is the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are absolutely like astounding when you watch them with how electric they are. When they're on the ice, they have how players. How electric they are! <laughs> the yeah, lightning. Dude. lightning. Awesome. Oh, oh, I, I didn't even it's try great, to do that, great, but you know, great. when when you're a wordsmith like me, when you're a host as great as I am, you know, this is the kind of stuff that happens. It just rolls off the tongue and it happens naturally, oh. right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cam, that was, Cam, that Cam was is tremendously witty. Yeah, Cam is just shaking his head like I can't believe I'm doing this show with this guy. Uh, no, but when I've watched them this year, they've. Obviously, have some outstanding scores: Kucherov, Hedman, Filippa, Polat, 
even their you know their bottom six players and the players that aren't doing you know filling up the net that much Killorn point these are still players that are absolutely electric when they have the puck and I wonder you know what's going to end up happening in the long term because their cap their cap space issues are going to end up coming back to them but I think as of right now their window is pretty good right yeah the team that Tampa Bay is right now is the team they're going to be for quite some time and when they signed Steven Stamkos uh to that long deal they said hey look like you know we have these players they're not going to be here forever they're going to be here for two three four years but I mean they're they're good and like that they're gonna get more production from guys like you know Tyler Johnson Andre Palat and Steven and Stamkos is gonna come back from his injury and they have like you know phenomenal goaltending once they decide to you know, give Andre Vasilevsky the net, which they need to do, then, I mean, things are going to turn around for them and they're going to be fine. They're also a team that last year had, like, a horrific slow start to the season, and then when the playoffs rolled around, they, you know, came within one win of making it to the Stanley Cup Finals. And they're still, like, the exact same team as they were last year. And it's actually miraculous they managed to fit all these contracts in. It's like, you got to give Steve Eisenman a lot of credit for that. I wonder... uh, You've been talking about the expansion, and I know you're putting together a piece at NHL Numbers, you know, talking about what worked and what didn't. I looked at a lot of the Blue Jackets' moves, and what happened at the expansion draft, and I wonder if they're going to end up being similar, uh, similar, you know, gifted picks if they try to get uh, certain players picked. Because I look at Ryan Callahan on the Lightning, and I think if you just give... Uh, the Vegas two uh, two third round picks and say please pick Ryan Callahan that might be something that is, uh, <laughs> would be agreeable right and I think that he's one of those players that they need to get rid of but you gotta tell me since you're the head honcho at NHL numbers is is Ryan Callahan gonna be one of those players that's eligible or does he have a no movement clause yeah unfortunately the two ugliest contracts that they have right now ryan callahan at 5.8 million and belteri Filipula at 5 million are both no movement clauses so those are automatic protects unless they can get those players to waive the clause and furthermore i i imagine that you know based on the depth this uh tampa bay lightning team has there's going to be better players exposed and if you're las vegas unless you know tampa's giving you something better than a third round pick you're probably not going to take you know callahan over somebody like I don't know, Vladislav Nemestikov or, uh, I don't know, uh, Nikita Nestrov, somebody like that. Like, I'm, I'm just pulling names. But the, with, with teams like Tampa, there's, there's, like I said, such an obscene amount of depth that you're going to, I think that a team would be better off, like Las Vegas, taking a good young player that unfortunately has to get exposed than taking a bad old player and, you know, a second or third round pick with a, with a very low likelihood of turning out to be as good as the player they could have taken. That is probably one of the main reasons why some of those teams ended up getting screwed from the start is that they were trying to, you know, do something more long term. And I feel like in Vegas's case, it's going to be something more in the short term, right? They're going to try to make a team that's going to be competitive as quickly as possible. I think the Vegas fans will be around, you know, three, four years no matter yeah, what. But I, I really think mm-hmm. that on their end, what will end up happening is they you're gonna need a competitive team to really get a sustained interest like you know past the honeymoon stage i uh, somehow we switched this like tampa bay talk into like las vegas talk (laughs) but and i i think you know being a huge uh you know nhl video game guy one of my favorite things is doing the fantasy draft so whenever there's like the possibility of like you know playing it basically in real life I like absolutely get immersed in like two seconds. I'm like, this is the absolute best thing in the world. I, how could I not, you know, want this whatsoever? In- no, I, I I totally agree with you. It's like I I honestly couldn't care less about the Las Vegas Golden Knights if that's even going to be their name. Um, I, I I don't think I'm going to cheer for them. I'm not interested in them, but I'm <laughs> like very interested in the idea of an expansion team. I'm I'm really interested in watching expansion draft. I'm anxious to see all the player movement. I'm just. I mean, obviously, I'm just a big fan of movement around the NHL. I'm a big fan of free agency and trades. I guess you can call me like a, a big fan of roster baiting. For sure. Now, what what do you think about Tyler Johnson? He could possibly be someone that gets exposed. I'm looking at he's obviously a very good player, but he's like just over half a point per game. Would that be a smart move or a dumb move on their part to leave him um, exposed? I'm not sure if the Lightning can fit Tyler Johnson in 
to their situation right now, considering they also have to sign Andre Palat and Jonathan Truan to new contracts this um, this summer as RFAs. And I mean, yeah, there's money coming off the books, roughly $6 million to Ben Bishop, and they're probably going to get a contract taken by the Las Vegas. But I don't know. You kind of look at um, their situation. They're going to have to start picking and choosing at some point. You can't really keep all these young players around. And if you could trade, I don't know, a Tyler Johnson for a younger player who has more years of control because uh, Johnson's 25, meaning he's a couple years away from unrestricted free agency, then you're probably, you probably should look at doing something like that. Yeah, I I think that's probably the best part about it is that, you know, they even if they lose Tyler Johnson, they're still going to have some pretty darn good players that are going to be able to fill that spot. Jonathan Druin only just came back from in, injury a little bit ago. He's over half a point per game player as well. He's obviously not going to fill the shoes of, say, Tyler Johnson. But if they lose a Tyler Johnson, it's not going to be the end of the world. If they lost it to Steven Stamkos like they did last summer, that may have been a little bit more questionable. But it remains to be seen how they end up moving forward. Now, one thing before we got on that you want to talk about was Black Mirror, uh, the TV show. Uh, I This is a switching away from the hockey talk, and I, I understand that this may be upsetting to some people that we're switching away from it. But Cam wants to talk about Black Mirror and how much he likes it. So I'm going to give Cam the floor for just a little bit. I'm I'm interested to see um, when all these, you know, technological things come come into fruition in the future. How professional sports is going to exist in the realm of like tremendous surveillance and uh, <laughs> and really intense technology and social media. Uh, it's already so prominent. We see we see players and what they do on Twitter and what they do on Instagram and immediately form an opinion around them and how that's going to affect like how how athletes exist in the league like. Uh, somebody put together a list of all of the NHL players who were liking pro Donald Trump tweets. So now it's like you know you know who in the league is a like an alt right supporter and things like that. I think that's like a really funny thing to think about. I, I'm a big fan of the show mostly because I feel like the, this is probably elicit some eye rolls from some people, but you know it's definitely a path we're going down in some respects. It's kind of like. You know, we're technology is advancing in such a way that, you know, some of these things will end up becoming commonplace. And we, one of the episodes you haven't seen it yet, but um, her husband dies, and they use his social media accounts to um, basically uh, populate his personality in like a reanimated body. And it's like one of the more interesting things ever because it talks about how you know what we are online isn't necessarily the complete package it's not necessarily your full self you're always missing just a little bit no matter what and it's one of the, the more uh interesting episodes in my opinion uh it's got dom uh dom hall gleason in it um it has the lady who played uh peggy carter in or peggy carter is that right anyway and uh from the uh the captain america movies she uh who's like uh uh, Chris Evans love interest in the movie. She's in that as well, and so it's a fantastic episode. And I love the 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 TV show by itself, and it's interesting because we watching hockey overall, we get really really obsessed with the technological aspect of it. And uh-huh. one of the more interesting debates for me the past couple of years was whether or not stats is taking the fun out of the games, and is the technology and the stuff that we're tracking taking fun out of the games. And so, do you think that's a possibility, or are are you on board with that? Because I'm, I gotta admit, I do like enjoying, I, I do enjoy keeping track of the team's Corsi four percentage, you know, seeing what the team's PDO is. But overall, I, I gotta admit, like sometimes like, tracking the stats and t- taking a look at it does take some fun out of it for me. Yeah, no, it uh, it it takes away, I think, the element of hockey that I enjoyed as a young child, and when I played myself, it's it's a different animal now. And I'm not going to tell anybody how to consume hockey or how to enjoy it just because everyone's so different. That's why, I mean, I don't I don't really get upset at people who um, don't bother with stats because ultimately as fans, we don't really have much agency in what happens anyway. So even if you, you know, acknowledge that Chris Russell is a poor player, I mean, Peter Chiarelli very obviously disagrees, so it doesn't matter that much. But I mean, if stepping aside for a sec, if you're a member of the media, you really, 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 really should understand stats because if you're going to tell people they're wrong then you better damn well know why you're doing so but i mean going back to that i don't think it takes away the fun i just think 
like, I mean, I think analyzing systems is a pretty interesting, it's a pretty interesting thing to do. I mean, hockey is not the same game it was a decade ago. It's not as, it's, it's not as random. It's definitely a system league. Um, and I, I can see why people don't like that. I don't think hockey is quite the same as baseball in terms of it being, you know, a fun game to really dig into numbers. And, uh, cause that's the thing with baseball is, um, what makes it so, what, because what, what it's makes boring it, already. No, the baseball's not boring. <laughs> oh, it's so boring, man. <laughs> no, it's, it's not so boring. boring. Baseball's not boring. What makes what makes baseball and sabermetrics work is it's fun because every situation's an isolated moment and it's all played in a vacuum and you can pull up, you know, pitcher stats this day of the week against this type of hitter and then you can look at that hitter's, you know, blah blah blah, how they face against lefties, how they face, you know, uh, playing on turf or versus grass, and then just like try and make a prediction based on what's going to happen with all the information you have. And so often you're wrong, even though you have a high likelihood of being right. And it's just such a fun thing time and time and time again when you're sitting there watching a baseball game with friends to just like, oh, this is going to happen in this situation. And it's 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 fun to like just continuously be wrong because you can't predict baseball. And I don't think hockey's the same way. Like you can't you know, take an isolated, because it happens so fast, the game's so dynamic, you can't just take, oh, you know, like, uh, Alex Simmons playing against, I don't know, Braden Coburn, and player X has a course, of blah, 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 and this is what's going to happen here, oh, you can't predict hockey, haha, it's, it's not as, it's, it's not the same thing, it's, it's not, it's not as applicable to watching a game as it is in baseball, I think. No, I, I could definitely get down with that. I, I, I definitely agree to it to some, with some to uh, some extent as well because it, there are mo- there aren't as many moments in a vacuum like you said, and I think that there are so many different tiny moments, you know, different uh, things that like that that can you know just m- change the game in just an instant. If a puck goes one way and that ends up you know going. And getting up against them, obviously, it's going to change the percentages in such a way that it's unfavorable. But over time, I think it always ends up balancing out, and I think that's the general gist of what they're trying to accomplish with, like, say, Corsi Four and things like that. And I think it, it's one of the things that Tyler Dello brought up when um, he was ta- uh, did stuff for the Edmonton Oilers, and before that, actually, is he talked about the uh, micro stats and how you know it's a death by a thousand cuts thing, where if you have say Jack Johnson on the ice and there's multiple times in which they have the thing that, uh, the opportunity to score and he's very passive in the way he handles the puck versus someone like say I don't know Eric Carlson who will have a blunder every once in a while but that's the thing that's circled and that's that's what I think these stats are really for and that te- that's what's making the technology great yeah. for the league this- is that you can like overall the percentages don't necessarily take into account those moments but that's good <laughs> because no, overall, overall you can actually decipher what's happening there right that's a, that's exactly what they talk about oh god I, I hate being like a stats guy who circles it back to Moneyball but it's so hard not to because the book's so good but it's the stats are so important for just getting rid of the just your subjective bias I mean it's so hard to watch a hockey game or any sports anything in the world it's so hard to you know as a human to just look at something and and not have a bias a bias related to it in some capacity like i mean i grew up like i said earlier in the show like i was a huge fan of watching chris pronger with the oilers even when he demanded a trade and there was all that bullshit i still liked watching chris pronger with the ducks and i liked watching chris pronger with the uh philadelphia flyers and i thought he was like just phenomenal and as a result i specifically love you know six foot six massive defensemen and therefore like when I watched a player like, I don't know, Anton Belov or Andy Sutton, who just like weren't good, I had a soft spot for them because just the way they looked on the ice reminded me of Chris Pronger. And obviously they weren't even in, the, not, not, I know they're not in the conversation of Chris Pronger, but I was willing to give those players the benefit of the doubt because of how they looked. But then when you, you take it all away and you make it all about numbers just for a moment, you can start seeing different things you wouldn't see if you were scouting. And, and you can then, after you have like an understanding of those numbers and what the players do that you don't un- you don't notice and that you don't see, because you know you don't see all the like good things that a player does low key. You don't see them. You don't see what goes into having you know a fifty three point three Corsi four percentage while making largely defensive zone stars. You just don't see that. And I mean, if you can take away your eye test for a moment and look at those numbers, it'll definitely help augment the way you view the game. 
No, without a doubt. And I th- that's why I, sports overall is exciting. I, I enjoy it because we can, you know, do this. We can come together and talk uh, talk on this podcast and try to, you know, decipher what's good, what's bad, and what the ugly is just because it makes, uh, you know, someone will consume it just because they enjoy the game that much. And I that's why I really enjoy about the game itself is the ability to come together to discuss and have some sort of discourse about the players themselves. And I... I, I think it's why I got into writing, and I think it's why I really like podcasting as well. So because a lot of times we can end up getting feedback on what what's going on there. So I, I guess that's the episode, right? Uh, we we talked about Black Mirror, and then somehow I ended up bringing it back to technology and hockey. I I don't know how that happened, but you know, yeah, I, I, it's 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 pretty damn hard to talk about Black Mirror because I mean, I watched I watched three episodes over the weekend, and I I mean, it was the first episode I've ever watched, and I finally got into it after hearing all the hype. Well, what's going hap- to still, happen I'm, is going you're going to get off of here, and you're going to end up watching the rest of the episodes, right? Oh, seriously, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna finish this podcast and go and whip out my phone and pull up Netflix and watch episodes. And it's so hard to wrap your head around those things. And there's just so many different things going on and so many ways to interpret them. I like, I sound like an idiot when I talk about it, just because every time you open your mouth and speak about black mirror with somebody, you start thinking about another part of the episode and you're just like back to square one. You're like, Oh God, this is, this is weird. Oh, for sure. Now today is over with on Wednesday. We're going to have a very special guest. I'm very excited to have him on. Once we get it 100% confirmed, we'll release it out onto Twitter. Uh, big guest. And then on Friday, we have, we're have going to have a certain Flames blogger on. Um, you all know and love him uh, as well. He's all over hockey Twitter. Um, you can follow me at Sam underscore Blazer. You can follow Cam at Coom. Uh, it's going to be an exciting couple weeks here at the... Uh, at the uh, NHL numbers, watch the game headquarters. I'm really excited. We're going to try to do some stuff on Fridays as well. I want to mention that, that we're going to try to do like a game show and involve the listeners itself. Make sure to give us some feedback on what you want to do with that itself. I know they used to do game show Friday over at uh, MVSW, and that's kind of gone by the wayside. But if that's something that you, you're interested in as a listener, uh, just let us know and drop us a line because we want to be able to gauge some interest on that as well. Um, Make sure to rate and subscribe us online uh, online as well. That it helps us out, gets more visibility. We can do more fun stuff like the ga- uh, possibility of game shows, things like that. And I think in the weeks ahead as well, we're going to leave it up to you guys to see what you think of uh, different guests and who should come on. We appreciate you guys yes. for listening. Right, Cam? Yes. <laughs> all righty. That's all I have to say at this point. I talked a lot, man. I just, um, <laughs> now I'm just all talked out, so I have, yes. I, have nothing fun to, I have nothing fun to say for the outro. Yes. Because I feel like I've, I've just, oh, that's where I'm at right now. It's all good. Until next week, or until Wednesday. Bye. Bye.